it's 2.42 right now, incidentally, and uh, I am just leaving the house to go to my Starbucks office to work on uh, my children's video for, and to do a video tomorrow for my son's birthday, Tyler. And after just recording that 30-plus minute message about how tough it is and I've never done anything so hard, I'm ready to quit, you know, and um, I just want to go do something that the hardest thing I've ever done is to sit and wait. I literally just recorded that message today. <clears throat> and then my mom just says to me, she says it in a gentle way, but I know what the spirit is behind it. She says to me, you know, I really hope that you learn to really appreciate and be in the moment on how much you get to spend one-on-one -on -one time with God and all this prayer and all of that. And that's actually her trying to put a positive spin on a thing that she said to me many times, which is that I don't have to do anything except for all I get to do is play and have fun and study God and read God's Word. And she has made repeated comments to me over the last couple of years about, you know, that this is like I'm on some kind of vacation. And it just goes to show you, and at one minute coming out of her mouth, she says literally in the same sentence, she says, I'm just so astonished at how much I get it now. I get it. I get it. She's just saying over and over how much she knows. Um, she's a brand new Christian. I mean, she's like two months wet behind the ears and she is having that experience that a lot of us do where when God starts turning the lights on, you feel like you know so much. Now, I'm recording this because I too have been guilty of this and I need to remember this in my dealings with people. I need to remember that people almost always have a tendency to think they are further down the road than they really are. I literally just recorded an hour ago the message saying that it's God's grace, it's a mystery I'm convinced that God intentionally hides the length of the journey between you and, and looking more like Jesus Christ. That if people knew how far the gap was between us and Jesus Christ, when you start to become a Christian, you would either A, never do it, or B, you'd quit and give up quick. But here I am three and a half years into this, having been changed so much and seen so much fruit and amazing things in my life, and yet... I feel like God just keeps showing me that I'm so much further to go. I have so much further to go. It's just, it it never ends. So when you begin to think you're there, which has been a lot of my folly, I've always thought, wow, I really, now I'm starting to know something. And this is such an interesting, such an interesting revelation to me because we all are guilty of getting to this place where we think, wow, I now kind of got this thing. I've got this God thing. I know the truth. My mom is saying this out of one side of her mouth. On the other side of her mouth, she's trying to gently, basically kind of manipulate me that she, that she's wanting me to do something other than sit around, quote, waiting on God, studying the Bible, praying, and, and you know, living this life of faith. And yet what she doesn't understand, because she's never had to do this, is that it is the most difficult thing in the world for a person like my personality to do. To sit still and to wait upon the Lord, what looks like a vacation to her, 
is the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. It's the equivalent of pulling all your teeth out at once every day over and over again. And granted, it's not that way, you know, all the time, but it is been so much work and so much of a labor. And she seems to think that uh, that's not the case. Isn't it interesting that I'm pulling up to a vehicle license plate BB 66633 right in the middle while I'm doing this. I saw a 666 yesterday. I see it today. And uh, I had just mentioned the spirit that's behind what my mom just said. And I'm sure there'll be something else coming, but it really is amazing. I'm, I'm learning a lot watching my mom realizing how many times I thought I really you know, was making great progress and was doing something and was so far away. I can see why the Bible says, you know, let the wise man who thinks he's wise in his own eyes become a fool. Meaning, don't ever think that you know it. The person who thinks he knows something really doesn't know anything. And that's kind of what I'm realizing is... There is so much more to go. I am so far away from looking like Jesus in several areas of my life. Have I made huge progress? Absolutely. Amazing progress. But the race is so far from being over. It's not even funny. I could have thought for sure by now I'd be in here. I thought, well, yeah. Three years into it, I can say I'm there. No way. No way. So, anyhow, I just think it's interesting... Um, but the one thing that I know for sure is that I need to learn to not engage when somebody makes comments like that. When somebody says, you know, I really just hope you'll, I just literally had sent a text to somebody or journaled something a couple of days ago that said, in many ways, this season will be the best season of my life. Even though it's been excruciatingly hard and painful, it'll be the best season of my life because... It's been a a season of of peace. There's been a lot of rest time. And there's going to come a time when it's going to be a lot of people. Now, granted, I get a lot of energy from around people, being around people. So, um, but I, I realize the busier days are coming, but the days of being able to go to the woods and just every day, day after day of being with the Lord, um, this season is going to pass. So, on one hand, what my mom says is, you know, is, is she doesn't understand really what the, the truth is about my situation. But on the other hand, what she is saying, there's a part of what she's saying that's absolutely true, and and I recognize it. But um, I think the biggest thing I want to remember is as I look at what my eyes have been open to over the last just couple of months. I want to remember when I think about other people that they are not as far along maybe as I thought. I have a tendency to always think people are further along than they are. And I need to also remember always that it wasn't too long ago when I maybe didn't understand that certain part of the Christian walk or the Bible. And how can I turn around and place unrealistic expectations on people when I myself, you know, 
hadn't been too long I've been walking down this road. So it's a good reminder for me to have patience with people. I think that's one of the things the Lord is really wanting me to get from the reading of Timothy is understanding the need to be patient with people as they learn. And it's okay for me to be passionate and convicted up on stage and passionately share the message, but one-on-one, I think I definitely do need to make sure that I'm more gentle with people and understand that it's only by God's grace that their eyes will be open to see whatever I'm sharing anyhow and that God will give them the strength to walk it out or walk in it, not because I happen to press harder with the crayon. So I find this interesting thing happening where I'm getting to learn a lot by watching my mom. And I want to capture all these, not in any way to uh, uh, tear down my mom or to dishonor my mom because, and this will be a message that only I hear, but um, just so that I can remember to be sensitive to where other people are at, either ahead of me or behind me. And um, to be, to not allow the ignorance of uh, other, or, or, or shall we even just say lack of maturity or lack of experience of somebody else's faith walk to get me flustered, but to be patient. It's a good word. It's a good word. Today has been um, a very difficult day. I did a long recording today about how much I would like to give up, and yet I can't. What's the cost? Um, When I say very difficult, it has not been a miserable day. It's just been a day where the faith has been under heavy attack. On my walk today, I must have seen 1101 five times if I saw it once. I saw, um, ended up seeing, after I made the recording about not seeing 511, I saw 511 three times this afternoon. I've seen 555 twice. I've seen 616 several times telling me to take up the shield of faith and 611 multiple times to the point where I'm like, whoa, I've seen 666 once. So you can see where... It's an attack. God's showing me that my faith is under attack. And God allows this. He allows the enemy to harass, to strengthen. Without the battle, you don't get stronger. And uh, tomorrow, I'll wake up refreshed, ready to take on another day. And I continue to wait for the Lord's deliverance. It has been uh, so difficult push through days like today where you literally just want to give up and quit and just go it's too easy to just go save yourself so I have to go to court in like 23 days and uh, God forbid I should show up in that courtroom and be five months behind on child support I'm having to go to court because they're still trying to overturn the amazing miraculous divorce you know, decision, final judgment. They're trying to overturn it. But I'm going to sure look bad if I show up in that court and uh, I'm five months behind in child support and I try to explain to that judge, well, Your Honor, uh, the Lord's told me not to work, not to take money. I mean, who in their right mind would believe that and not think that I needed to be put in a white jacket or thrown in jail to be taught a lesson? So unless the Lord shows up and delivers me, I could be in serious trouble. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if they want to take me straight to jail or 
or what. But the Lord just keeps telling me to keep the faith. He keeps telling me, Romans 10, 11, that as the scripture says, no one who trusts in him will be disappointed or put to shame. So I'm just believing that God is going to do this. He is going to do this. He is going to do this. And uh, I cannot wait to see what's going to happen. And I hope it comes soon because, boy, days like today are absolutely no fun at all. Oh, man, it's not been fun at all. So hopefully I'll be renewed tomorrow and uh, I'll have more strength and his mercies are new every day. I just had this idea about people wanting God to speak to them so much and people wanting his presence and people wanting the fruit and the gifts and just wanting more of God and seeing it in other people which stirs a desire. So a lot of times we run to programs or you know, six keys, seven keys, 12 points, whatever to try to find. And um, I'm starting a program tonight. I'm going through a Bible study with some people about how to hear the voice of God. And and uh, I'm trying to make sure that I don't go into this thing, you know, wanting to discount what this other man is teaching and say, hey, let me tell you why he's wrong and I'm right. Because God speaks to me every day. I, I don't want to go into this thing and come off as being you know, egotistical, or quite honestly, any pride. I want to be gentle, but at the same time, I have a tendency to be real passionate about um, <clears throat> anything outside of what I know to be God's truth and His Word. And there are so many teachings that the devil has got his finger in to try to get people distracted or looking for truth in the wrong places, mainly from men, so I'm, I'm just trying to prepare my heart, and as I was preparing my heart to go to this tonight, I just thought, you know, here's the basics. You know, if, if my, my basic, the simplest way I can explain to somebody, um, if they said, Mike, I see that God is more involved in your life than He is mine, or that you're hearing from Him more than I do, my simplest answer or explanation to that person would be to say like this, that... When God looks down from heaven, does he see that in your character, not that you are free from sin, but that you are constantly fighting against it in a struggle for righteousness that he's placed inside of you? In other words, are you, are you fighting the good fight? Are you fighting against sin? Do you find sin in your life detestable? Not that you've achieved perfection, but do you despise evil? Because the Bible says... To love God is to despise evil. So do you despise the sin that's in your life? And do you pursue God? Does He look down and see somebody who's fervent and alive in their pursuit of Him? Or does He see somebody who casually accepts sin and casually pursues Him? You know, do you deal casually with sin and do you deal casually with God? Or do you deal fervently with sin to get it out? And are you fervent in your pursuit of God? Because to me, if you are hungry for God and you detest evil in your life, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, you do not hear God because you do not belong to God. But that if you belong to God, you hear His voice. Jesus also said, my sheep know me. They hear my voice and follow me. My sheep know my voice. So, I am kind of 
even though I started out with a book called How to Listen to God, I, I didn't really know how to hear God, and I was desperate to hear from the Father, and I read Charles Stanley's book, How to Hear God, and went to the Bahamas. But what, what I've experienced, I've never gone back to that book a second time. My experience has been that because I desired God so much, and just simply because I humbled myself, like earnestly before God, saying, please help me, please show up in my life, please guide me, please direct me, please show me where I'm outside of your will, please shine the light of Christ on the dark spots of my heart, please use me for your glory, please have your way with my life, because I fervently pursued God, He began to speak to me. And when your Father speaks to you, you know His voice. The idea that you need to be taught what God's voice sounds like is almost ridiculous to me. It really is. I mean, I know in the beginning, when you first are getting started, you don't have any idea of what I even just said. You don't understand that. But as you, you know, really get in God's Word, and if you're not in God's Word, if God said something to you, you wouldn't know. That's kind of weird. Where'd that come from? But when you hear the Spirit speak to you, you see that it right, it's right in line with His Word and His ways. But if you don't know His ways or His Word, you're not really going to recognize His voice. And my, my conclusion is that people that want to hear God should be obeying His commands. That when you hear, when you obey His written Word, how can we go to God and say, I don't want to take the time to read your book. Just tell me what you want to know. I mean, imagine an author writes this best-selling, amazing book. And people say, look, dude, I bought the book, but I don't have time to read it. Just tell me what's the point. What's the answers? I mean, what a, what a kind of a slap in the face of the author's work. And I, I, I kind of feel like, I know it's very, probably would make a lot of people upset to hear this, but I kind of feel like it's a slap in the face to God. And, and you know, we do it largely out of ignorance. I know I did. <clears throat> to go to God wanting Him to tell us all these things about our life and about His will and about His plan for our life. What's His personal will for our life or, or in this particular decision when we are not seeking God's written word. We ask Him for His spoken word uh, when we've ignored His written word. And to me, I've been walking with the Lord now for a three and a half year very intense period so we're talking about 22 years of, of being in, around Christianity and church and all that. And what I'm discovering is that God is pointing me consistently back to His Word for specific times in specific ways for specific answers to a specific season to a specific insight, problem, or question that I have. He's pointing me back to his written word. I mean, I could almost stand and say, take it from a guy who's experienced miracles where God tells me 18 months in advance what he's going to do, and then he does it. But he used his word to tell me these things. He's not giving me some new, you know, new revelation. Now, God is consistently pointing me back to his word. And, and like I say, the things that he does speak to me are right in line with his word, or he's confirming it. So like when he told me to trust him for the fight, that's not some new, and to fire the attorney, that's not some new revelation. That, was, that came right out of, you know, the, the um, book of Samuel, I believe 1 Samuel 18. 
maybe Second Samuel 18, I can't remember off the top of my head, but where Saul and David have the encounter in the cave where Saul's just urinated and David decides not to take matters into his own hands but trust the Lord to judge between he and thee. And uh, the other part comes from Matthew 5.39. Do not resist an evil person. If someone smacks you on the right, turn them to the left. If someone wants to sue you for your cloak, give them your tunic. They ask you to go one mile, go with them two. And then uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, lawsuit between believers. He's basically saying how wrong you are to go to lawsuit against another believer. Why not rather be wronged or cheated? For by going to lawsuit, you've already been completely defeated. So it's almost it's like God did all of that, set up a huge miracle using his own word that's already written to speak to me the need to wait for him to deliver, and then he did this amazing miracle. What's my point? People so bad want to hear from God that nobody wants to take the time to sit down and read and meditate and study, and it takes hours and hours and hours, days and weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years of seeking God's face. To, to even scratch the surface. But by showing up, we show God, yes, Lord, we're not here to give you lip service. We're not here to get instant seven, key, seven easy steps to success with God. We're here to seek your face because we love you. We want to spend time with you. We want to seek you. We want to understand you. Yes, we need answers for our life, God, but secondary to having you. That's what I just wanted to, to journal real quick about the idea of people that really are desperate to hear from God. Instead of going to a program or seven easy steps, just go to the Word one step and ask and seek and have your desire be authentic. I want to add this one point on that last message I just made about seeking and finding God. You know, I um, if I could give my own self advice, you know, I went in 2004 and sat on a beach in the Bahamas for three days with a notepad and the book How to Hear God. And came back from that having journaled 16 pages where I felt for sure that I got answers from the Lord about some things. And he had me have the idea to start this business. I started the business and it turned out to make a couple million dollars and provided really well for my family for, you know, five years. And even though, you know, that that happened, it ended in tragedy. And um, if I could give that young man advice, if that young man, Michael Criswell, in 2004 would come back to me now, almost 10 years later, if he would come back to me now and say, what is your best advice for me? I need to hear from God. I realized the sense of urgency to hear a word from God in that point because my life was in chaos. But the thing that I would beg Michael Criswell to do is to not only seek to hear God's voice, but I would ask that young Michael, I would say, Michael, are you following the basic teachings of Jesus Christ in your life? Are you inside the will of God to the best of your knowledge and ability according to his written teachings? Do you know the teachings of Jesus Christ? Are you following that? And I would have to say, uh, no. My answer would have been, well, I think I am because I go to church a lot and I'm trying to be a good person and I'm trying to do what's right. But I was ignorant of the actual teachings of Jesus. Now, had I seen him in the Bible? Of course. But was I intentionally obeying them and trying to persevere in them? No. And that could have dramatically affected where I'm at in my life today 
had I had myself to tell myself, Michael, the greatest path and the biggest key to opening up God's wisdom, His presence, and treasure box in your life, answered prayers, peace, rest, joy, a life abundant, is through obedience to God's Word. Because you love Him. If you do not love Him, do not attempt to obey Him. But if you do love Him and you do have a desire for Him and you want more love for Him and you want more desire for Him and you want more of His presence in your life and His wisdom and His direction, seek to obey the teachings of Jesus Christ. Not try to read somebody's book or find seven keys to success in hearing God. Just do what He's already said to do. Man, I would give anything if I could go back and tell myself that. But in the same breath, I can say I'm truly thankful that God gave me the opportunity to know this now as opposed to never. So two more quick, exciting things happened that I want to capture. While I was out on my prayer walk, I really felt I could feel the effort, the, the, the real difficult effort to pray. And normally it's not difficult. It's difficult for me to get started praying. But once I open my mouth and praise to the Lord, it's like the spirit just takes over. So I see a principle there. Um, you know, the devil will do everything he can to try to oppress you to keep you from praying. But boy, once I open my mouth in prayer to the Father, the words just start to flow and my spirit begins to fill as I praise the Lord and pray. And the spirit just brings things to my heart and mind to pray for. But I, um, while I was walking today, I heard the scripture where Jesus says, do not be afraid. Trust in God. Trust also in me. This is one of the, the teachings of Jesus Christ that I've been memorizing. And it came to me while I was praying. And all of a sudden I started thinking about what the implications of that are. And um, I have said before, you know, I, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. I've done that a couple of times. Well, I started entering into that and I just kept saying, I trust you, God. And I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, God. And I trust you, Jesus. And I say, I trust you, Daddy, and I trust you, Jesus. I just keep saying it over. And about the fourth time I said it, looking up to heaven, you know, not just flippant words, but literally speaking them to the Father, I just felt this peace just fill me. And I began to be strengthened in that as God honors his word and honors his servant who begins to, to speak trust in his name. And uh, that was really cool. I just saw a, there's a principle there that I see that's just you know, fighting the fight with the Word of God. But the other thing that happened is, as I walked in the house to get myself some chocolate milk, I uh, turned on the television, and there was this lady who was telling the story of Abraham and Isaac, and she said, and remember, folks, he knew he was coming back because he said, we're going up to the mountain to worship God, and we will be back. And she said that Abraham had such a track record with God at this point that he knew... God would deliver him and that even if he had to drive the stake in Isaac's heart that God would bring him back to life at the very least he trusted God and it said that he got up early that morning so he was eager to go do it he was ready and willing and able to go do it it's not that he was excited I guarantee you he wasn't excited but he went as a form of worship this sacrificial worship and um goes right in line with everything I've been talking about and thinking and feeling, but that it was, bottom line is it was just very edifying because this is the exact analogy that I've been using 
over and over, the only thing in Scripture that I can really see that comes close to, you know, God asking somebody to violate his own word is when Abraham is asked to go kill Isaac, which is to violate God's word and God's character to murder. And then we see also, you know, the several of the disciples um, basically had to, um, well, in particular, Paul. And actually, you know, now that I think about it, a lot of people want to cherry want want to take pick a scripture and and apply it as a general principle to all things, all people at all times, and you can't do that. Jesus Christ gave the great commission. It says, "Go into all the nations, preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to hold to my teaching." But then he tells the disciples to wait. Don't go. Stick around for forty days. Basically, I think it was until they get power from on high, the Holy Spirit. So in his word, he says, go, but then he says, wait. So somebody could say, well, he's violating what he already told him. Another instance is Paul, who under the commission of the Great Commission is to go preach the gospel. But when trying to go to Asia and some other place was told no to, to wait. There's an instance, a couple of instances where he was told to wait. So you can see that it's it's God's revealed words, I believe is what they would be called. <clears throat> you know, God. people always say, God will never, ever give you a word to contradict his word. That's just not true. I just don't see where that's true. Well, then why would he have ever asked Abraham to go up and kill Isaac? That's asking Abraham to do something that contradicts his word and his heart. We see that when Cain killed Abel, it was wrong. No, Abraham didn't have the the law at this point, but he would have known that that was wrong against God to kill, clearly. So, sometimes God does this. Anyhow, I was just very, very encouraged. I'm still very tired today from my sinus issues, but I was just very, very encouraged to walk in after having prayed that God would help me. He did, in fact, help me, and he encouraged me in that with that word about Abraham, that's just solid. That is solid, solid, solid. Yesterday was a very, very difficult day for me. It was one of those days that pushed my faith to the edge of the cliff. And I literally had many thoughts yesterday. I, I think the way I would describe it is I had a real desire um, that had weight to it to quit. I have had, um, by God's grace, an amazing amount of faith and joy and peace um, and rest um, in the face of, you know, difficult circumstances that have been largely self-inflicted simply because of the fact that I'm choosing to obey uh, the invitation of God to follow Him into these hard places and to obey Him. So, the suffering, obviously, as it's lasted longer and longer, it's easy sometimes to have days where you can get weary. You know, you, you keep hoping and believing and waiting for a break. You know, today's going to be the day, and then it, then it's not. And then tomorrow, hopefully tomorrow's going to be the day, and then it's not. And so, before you know it, so many days have gone by. Weeks, months, now years. And um, you wonder how you made it this far, first of all. You wonder how in the world... With days like I had yesterday, which I've had many, how in the world do you get this far and yet the circumstances haven't changed? It's clear evidence of God's amazing grace sufficient for each day. 
The idea of give us this day our daily bread is so profound and so much deeper than those words express. The idea that God's grace truly is given out uh, in abundance for each day and you don't get any of tomorrow's grace today is so evident in my life and in my walk with Christ. And I have found myself having some difficult days where I say, well, Lord, if I can just get through this day, Instead of looking at, oh man, how can I carry the weight of tomorrow or next week or the court date next month or whatever it is that's looming, you know, the words of Jesus Christ become apparent. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Um, or rather, it says tomorrow will worry about itself. It says each day has enough trouble of its own. So yesterday I got into a very scary place. I knew I needed to go pray. I get to my prayer place and uh, my little sanctuary out in the middle of my road at the end of my road was taken by a FedEx guy so I couldn't enter into that deep place where I feel like the angels meet me and take my petitions to the Father. It's just this amazing place. It's like a portal to heaven for me. It's um, obviously, you know, anywhere is a portal where you, you seek God, but this has just become a place of designated holy ground where I go and petition the Father and praise Him and worship Him. And it was interrupted yesterday. My path was cut off. I see the spiritual implications behind all of this. I've learned more and more about the devil and, and the way he works and the way the Father works from this long journey. The day before I had seen 666 twice, so I knew that I was going to be under attack. I, I didn't know necessarily um, what it was, but that I figured my thoughts and would come under attack. Sure enough, they did. Uh, my mom even said some things to me yesterday, again, you know, kind of bringing the doubt, her doubt to the table and uh, questioning my faith in these things and obedience to God. And so I lamented in a 30-minute message about how difficult the wait has been and what would be the cost if I suffer. And the, the final life raft to me was, you know, what what is going to be the cost, not if I suffer, but what is going to be the cost to me if I quit? And what would be the cost to God's glory and what would be the cost to other people, first and foremost, if I quit? And I, I, I you know, just kind of thought about what the weight of quitting would have been in the losing everything to find it all story. If I would have quit, what would the weight have been to other people? And it's huge, and you couldn't see it then, but I can look back and say, well, there'd be a couple of people that are probably dead from suicide. There'd be several people, including my mom, who are not a Christian. There'd be many people who are not walking as firmly with the Lord as there are right now. And who knows what other implications of the story that I haven't seen, that God hasn't allowed me to see. Uh, might have not happened. So yesterday, I just began to, you know, think in my carnal, fleshly thoughts, why in the world would the Lord ask me to violate His own word and not work? Why every time I get a job offer, every time I, you know, think about getting a video job, does the Lord immediately tell me to say no to it? It just seems ridiculous. I have a responsibility to pay for my children and to provide for them. And I'm not able to do that. I'm now coming up, it's going to be here shortly, five months that I'll be behind on child support. How could God ever ask me to do something like this? And yet, the thing I know beyond all certainty is that God is, in fact, asking me and inviting me to obey Him in such a way that it's costing me um, tremendously. I've, I saw the analogy yesterday of self-inflicted suffering uh, through obedience, that those who obey are going to suffer more as a result. So, this is self-inflicted suffering due to the obedience. And 
it's like God hands you a scalpel and says, are you willing to cut it off? And so now I have a better understanding ever of what it means to crucify the flesh and what it means to, um, you know, put away the old sin nature. God does not do that. That is our work. It is our work. God gives us His Spirit and He speaks to us and directs us, but it's our responsibility to live according to it. So we're the ones that are to crucify and to kill off and starve the flesh and the sin nature. And by choosing to obey God, you inadvertently are starving, killing off, cutting off the sin nature. It's really fascinating to think about that. So I begged God yesterday for the mercy to get through the day. I had seen 666 in the morning again. I had seen it two times the day previous. I saw 666 in the morning yesterday. And so I knew I was like, Father, please help me just have the grace to get through this day. I worked on the children's video yesterday, which gave me some joy just to look at my kids' faces. I just love them so much. And to watch their videos, I can't do it without my face breaking. I just smile, and it was wonderful. Um, but when I, when I put it down, I went back to thinking about things that you know were going on in the day, and I still haven't received you know, financial deliverance. And um, so I had said to the Father, Man, Lord, I haven't seen 555 except for one time in about a week. And I had seen it the day before at church. That afternoon, I saw 5.11 three times, which is James 5.11. We consider blessed those who have persevered, for you have heard of Job's perseverance and what the Lord finally brought about, for the Lord is full of mercy and compassion. Then I saw 6.11 and 6.16 several times, which is the idea of putting on the full armor of God to take the stand against the devil's schemes and taking up the shield of faith with which to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. I get up to the very top of um, the mountain um, walk and see 1101 no less than five times, which is Hebrew 1101, which says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I see 1122 several times, which is, Have faith in God, Jesus replied. This is where the disciples were astonished that the fig tree that he had spoken to the day previous had withered. And he says, Have faith in God. Then I saw 10.11, Romans 10.11, and the scripture says, No one who trusts in him will ever be put to shame. Um, and then I'm sure there was another one or two that I can't think off the top of my head. So the whole afternoon was filled with God telling me to have faith, to believe. Oh, I also saw 555 two times yesterday, which is, I'm going to deliver you. And so this morning... I get up and I still feel that heaviness a little bit. I was hoping it would be gone, but I still feel the little heaviness. And the first thoughts came to me were the teaching of Christ, where Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I thought to myself, okay, if I just do what Jesus Christ says to do, if I just obey, if I don't debate whether or not it's the right thing to do, it takes faith to do it and you just do it. I can see now again why the Lord is putting so much emphasis on me learning the teachings of Jesus Christ because every single one of the answers are in there. <laughs> every single answer. So I first concluded, okay, if I just take Jesus Christ at his word, he says, don't worry about tomorrow, which means any time after today, for tomorrow will worry about itself. So why should I start worrying about whether or not the money's going to come in between now and the court case? See, that's what my mom keeps wanting me to worry about. She keeps saying, well, I mean, what happens if you're going to stand in front of the judge? Well, 
The whole what ifs and what happens if, those are anti-biblical. Those are anti-Jesus. That really is the truth. It is very black and white I'm discovering. You know, you could argue and debate over this. Well, we need to plan. Well, okay, well, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. I don't think this is some kind of a mysterious teaching. I think he means exactly what he says. When he says for us to pull out our eyeball or cut off our hand, I don't believe he literally means us to enter into heaven maimed. The point is made that even a blind man can lust because lust occurs in your mind, not through the eye. Now, if a man was blind at birth, I don't see how he could lust unless he ever laid hands on a woman. But the point is made, you know, you could tear your eye out all you want, but you still have the ability to remember the image that caused you to look at your, that you looked at with your eye to begin with. The idea that Jesus teaches there is to drastically deal with sin, do whatever you must to get rid of it and get it out. But in this instance of don't worrying about tomorrow, I think he's being very, you know, clear and he's not trying to be clever. I say to myself, okay, Lord, I'm going to walk in that today. I'm going to not worry about tomorrow. I'm going to just be in today and I'm going to teach myself how not to do this. I've, I've, I've done it before. I've done it a lot, but I'm going to do it now even when it's hard. I sit down and this morning I feel led to read about the four principles of faith, four violations of faith that Satan takes advantage of in this book called The Strategy of Satan by Mr. Wearsby. It's been an amazing little book. I've had it, I've referenced it several times, and I was reading in there about the four tests of faith that Satan tries to leverage. You know, and he uses Abraham and Isaac, and he uses the early church, uh, some examples of how people take matters in their own hand. They violate God's, you know, um, ways and uh, end up short-circuiting it and giving glory to Satan and, and opening the door, giving him a beachhead, if you will, rather than sticking with the, with the Father. So I was reading that, and I flipped the book over at one moment to go get some coffee. I came back, I looked at the book, and to my utter shock, on the back of this book, first of all, on the front of this book is a picture of a rattlesnake with his fangs out. I had just had the encounter with the rattlesnake about two weeks ago showed it to my pastor, and my pastor said, Michael, that's a, that's a prophetic word for you. Satan's lying in your path. He's not making any noise. He wants to take you out, and he wants you to step on him. So now there's a snake on the front of this book. I flip over on the back, and in the ISBN number, to my amazement, is 666, three times. It's in two different ISBN numbers, and then the barcode has got 666 on this book about Satan. I told my parents, I'm like, look how... Look how amazing this is. I mean, the people that chose the ISBN number didn't choose that. Look at that. I mean, that's just incredible. So, I'm sitting there looking at that and realizing what the implications of that means, that Satan is after me. He's really trying to shoot some flaming arrows. And if I do what the Father's told me to do, I'll put on the full armor of God. I'll take up my shield of faith, standing against the flaming arrows. I will not worry about tomorrow because... If I have my shield of faith on, my shield of faith says I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. God will give grace sufficient for tomorrow. I get up. I get ready to get up. I look at my phone to turn off my Pandora. It's 848. And that is go in peace. Go in peace, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Actually, he says your faith has healed you. Go in peace, daughter, I believe. Whatever. It's, I think it's Luke 848. He tells her to go in peace for her faith has healed her. And this is that scripture God telling me, go in peace, your faith has delivered you. Just like when I got the Toyota and um, the free car. And uh, 
I got up, walked to get coffee. I got my coffee, stuck it in the microwave. It was 8.48. It turned to 8.49 as I closed the door in the microwave. I stick it in for 30 seconds. I walk past another clock glaring at me, 8.48. Three times, 8.48 to the three times 6.66. And I thought, wonder what would happen if I just took God at his word. He's telling me that my faith has already healed me, delivered me, for me to go in peace. Now, that means he's provided for me. But I haven't received it in my hand yet. This is another revelation that I've had in Scripture. Many times God tells me that I've been delivered well before I actually see the deliverance. Things can happen in the spirit realm long before we can attain them in the natural. You know, we see this with Daniel praying to have his prayer answered. And an angel shows up 21 days later and says, We answered your prayer the first day. It took me 21 days to get it to you. I also see when... The centurion, or the Roman soldier, comes to Jesus and says, Please, my son is sick. He says, Go, your son will be healed. Well, his son was healed in that moment. Because the next day we find out that it happened at the same hour that Jesus said, Go, your son will be healed. This is in the book of John. But the man didn't see the fruit. He didn't see the answered prayer, and he couldn't claim the answered prayer and have a testimony for the answered prayer till the following day. So I see that many times God answers prayer, but yet we don't see it for a while. You know, we haven't, it doesn't come into fruition. For instance, God has told me for a year now, wow, 2.12 in regards to Laura. He says, I have given you the desires of your heart. He has not withheld the request of your lips. He has given me the desires of my heart in Laura, Psalm 21.2. But the fact is, I don't have her yet. So God is saying, look, I've already made room for this. I've already made um, provision for this. You just, my timing for you to actually have it in your hands is not there yet. So I'm seeing this happen over and over again where God is telling me, you know, if you'll fire your attorney, I'll deliver you. And then he does in this most unbelievable way. He tells me 18 months in advance he'll deliver me. And then the way he does is absolutely astonishing, the 777. Then he tells me a week before I get the automobile, before I had any idea I was going to get anything, that he's delivered me in my finances, that I can go in peace. Then I get this miraculous call, this car dealer's offering to give me this uh, this car that's been in an accident that I'm able to sell to my parents. And we still have today in love and drive. I mean, just amazing. God tells me in advance. A week before I got it, actually several weeks before I got it, he tells me, you're delivered. Then, now God tells me he's delivered me in my finances, he's given me my beautiful bride, Laura, to be my wife. None of these two things have happened yet. So four, two of the four things that God has promised me have already happened. But this morning, the 848, he says, go in peace. So now it's almost like he's saying, your faith is what has delivered you. You've received the answer to your prayer. Now it requires more faith to walk in peace because you do not yet see the answer to your prayer. I mean, it's just incredible. It takes faith to get the prayer answered. Then it takes faith to receive the answer to the prayer and to walk in knowing that the prayer has been answered. And the most amazing thing is God saying, I've already answered your prayer. It's on its way. You just don't have it yet. Everything in my natural says this is stupid. 
you know, you're just trying to connect all these things and the numbers and the God's word, and you're trying to make the story come out how you want it to. The natural always has the ability to do that. It always wants to discount God, deny God, um, have doubt in God, and rob Him of His glory. And the Spirit continues to tell me, just keep trusting. Just keep trusting. I think there's a part of me that realizes that that even until the day you die, your flesh is always going to have the capacity to doubt God. It's always going to have the capacity to create its own story of what really happened in its mind and scheme and come up with um, narrative fallacies that explain away everything you experience in, in the faith and in the, in the supernatural. It always wants to chalk things up to coincidence, always wants to say, you made this up in your mind, that this isn't really true. I think it will probably be there and have that capacity until the day we die. Hence the reason, again, God showed me 525 twice yesterday. That's another number he showed me twice yesterday, which is Galatians 525 saying, Now since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And uh, so I think... I told a lady yesterday that something spectacular is going to happen. There's days where I doubt it and have a hard time believing for it. But I think that God is setting up something absolutely spectacular. The story that he's been writing and the way he's been communicating to me with numbers and showing me these scriptures over and over again and allowing me to be tempted of the devil, you know, people that continue to doubt, um, including myself, You know, it is only by God's grace that I can walk by the Spirit. Um, And the more I choose to do so, the more grace He gives me to continue to do so. God's mercies are new every day. I feel strengthened today to to walk further down this road. And um, I've had the opportunity now to, to literally lose almost all of my dignity. There's not very much dignity left. One other point I wanted to capture is the the idea that Many men have an ungodly pride in their ability to take care and provide for their family. It seems like a good thing to do. It seems like it's a good good pride. You know, a man's supposed to take care of his family. Even the Bible says, uh, Paul says, if a man is not willing to take care of his family, especially his immediate family, his relatives, especially his immediate family, that he has denied the faith and he's worse than that of a non-believer. But there's a spiritual pride um, that can come with, a uh, bad spiritual pride that can come with, providing and I've had that for years I've, I thought myself well at least I'm a good provider you know I may have failed here done this or not have this together but at least I'm a good provider and uh, I see that that is a bad pride particularly for somebody like me who puts so much hope and strength um, and, and uh, my needs being met uh, as a man in my ability to provide for my kids my identity was coming from that and now my dignity is zero in that because I'm in a place where I'm not providing for my children. My my enemy is having to take care of my children. My enemies are having to take care of my children. Now they're not starving. So by God asking me to do this very difficult thing of trusting him and not working and not taking all these job job offers I've been getting um or you know video job offers um he's not you know not taking care of my children. There's not neglect going on. They're in a private Christian school. They have grandparents who are, you know, providing for them well. And I know that I will be able to pay. They're just having to borrow the money essentially, you know, um, from the grandparents, not borrow, but in other words, they're having to pay out of their own pocket for some things that I should be paying for, you know, but, uh, and I feel bad about that. But 
there's been a loss of dignity when your own enemy has accused you of being you know from the devil and a horrible rotten person and a thief and doesn't care about his kids and abandon his kids and then by obeying God I'm almost giving them evidence it's almost like the slander that they've brought against me um, behind the scenes they may not see it but it's almost as if God is giving them um, evidence it's it's almost like God is almost um, maybe allowing them to receive the due penalty within themselves of slandering me and, and he's allowing them to see some evidence that maybe I am what they say they are um, and they don't have any idea that I'm clinging to God with everything and I'm praying for him for to have mercy on myself and them and that I pray every day for God to give me relief so that I can bless my enemies so that I can provide for my ex-wife so that I can provide for my children God is really wanting me to see that he is the provider not me and I think that this is something that clearly has not been worked out on me yet um, because of the because of the very thing that I'm having to walk through God is wanting to 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 absolute annihilate any sense in me that thinks that I'm the one that's the provider and or that I'm the one that can and should save myself and you can see how when you provide for yourself God gets none of the glory you know it was never this way in the beginning in the beginning it was that man would put seed in the ground but there was nothing the man could ever do to take credit. Nothing, nada, not anything could a man ever do to take credit for the growth that occurred. Because why? It was God who had to bring the rain. Without rain, a man could never. So no man could ever plant a field and then take credit and feel like he was a good provider. A man that planted a field remained in constant dependence and prayer for rain to come to soak the ground to nourish. This is not the case anymore with the way we live today in the industrial age. There's not much need for us to be dependent upon God. We can say, oh, he brought the client. Oh, he brought this. But the fact is that we've become entirely self-sufficient in our ability to produce, render service, make things happen. And so that breeds a uh, breeds a, a spiritual condition of self-sufficiency, not God dependency. And it bred in me very, very well. And it was being fed from my need to prove myself. My identity was wrapped in my ability to provide and to prove that I could make a bunch of money. So if God's going to use me in any significant way, you might imagine and might conclude that he's going to break that in a very, very heavy way. And, and as God is my witness, a tractor is just driving by. You can hear it. And there's a huge 555 on the side of the tractor. I stopped for a minute. The recording... That's awesome. God, I love it when God does that. The tractor drove by in a huge 555, which is him saying he will deliver me. So back to my point on this, because there's so much to learn from this, is that God is... the. Why is God so interested in our not being self-sufficient? So what is God's motive? Why does self-sufficiency drive God uh, crazy so much? Why does he despise it so much? The reason is, is because when we do things, we get the honor, not him. And he created us for what? He created us for his glory. It says this in the book of Isaiah, my sons and my daughters, whom I created, whom I formed and made for my glory. He made us so that he would be glorified. But if we're busy running around being self-sufficient and and the situation we're in is not so impossible that, that you know, only God could do it, then it's too easy for us to get the credit. 
So people would always want to say, Mike, you have such talents. You can do these video things and you have the ability to speak. And so people are constantly trying to give me the glory, first of all, for talents that don't ever even belong, never even belong to me. I didn't get them from me. I did not earn them. They were given to me. So, you know, I'm robbing God of his glory the moment somebody's giving me credit for what I did because I'm using tools that he gave me to do it. And second of all, I'm not using them in dependence upon him, but rather dependence upon myself. And so it's like a double double thief. You know, I mean, I'm stealing from God twice in that way. So this has caused me to really come to grips with the fact that it's not me. There has been a deep seed of, of pride deep, deep down that still wants to be known as, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm valuable because I can provide. But when God puts me in a situation like this, or because I can produce, but when God has put me in this situation where he's saying, I want you to obey me, and now I'm almost five months without being able to pay child support, you know, I could have jail or, or whatever looming, I've completely lost dignity, how do I explain it to my children? God has asked daddy not to work. How did Abraham explain to Isaac, God has asked me to put you on the altar? And why? Because God wanted to use Abraham in such a way that would bring him massive amounts of glory that would impact millions of people for God's glory. Again, what's the purpose for God's glory? And he needed to know that he could trust him to the point where there is nothing that Abraham withhold would withhold. So God looks down upon Michael and says, Michael, are you willing to not withhold even your own children from me? And Michael are you willing to not withhold your own dignity from me? Are you willing to be a complete fool and lose your dignity and be looked at as somebody who's, a, who's out of line? Somebody who's foolish? Somebody who's very lowly? And that's been very difficult for Michael Criswell. That has been very, very difficult. Uh, but by God's grace, I have been able to cling to him through faith and obey him to the point of lacerating all of these ugly things off of me. And I now see that when God delivers me in this extraordinary way, because I do believe this time it's going to be much more significant than a car. I believe God is going to do something. He's going to put a huge capital on it. He's going to, he's going to do something extraordinary. Um, the size of the test is going to be the size of the reward, the testimony. And... Um, I just know that God's going to do something really huge, really awesome to really put a exclamation mark on this idea that the glory belongs to me and you will bring me much glory by trusting me and obeying me. And he who trusts me and obeys me will not be put to shame, exclamation mark. And that from there, I will see that it's okay to lose your dignity. I will be a strong enough person at that point in the Father's grace to be able to encourage other people to be willing to lose their dignity, to be able to encourage other people to obey God to the point that it may feel like it's going to kill them, but in fact it's producing life in them that they could never get any other way, to really encourage people that, yes, I know what it's like to, to, to see days go by and weeks and months go by saying, how can you ever survive this? And um, so... I can still look them in the eye and say, but you can trust. My God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, that you can trust him, that he will deliver you. If he's asked you to do something, 
just keep on keeping on when it seems impossible. And everybody else is laughing at you or pulling you down or making fun of you. Just be willing to do it because the reward of giving God glory is the greatest reward that we can live for. I mean, when you know that through your willingness to obey, you participated in bringing God much glory, what kind of a reward is there in heaven for that? When God says, you know, you laid down yourself, you laid down your will, you laid down your pride, you laid down your, you know, self-desires, your dreams, your goals, your ability to be comfortable. You set down all the things that people are interested in. And as a result, Michael, look back on how much glory I got. You know, I can almost see God showing me things that I'm never going to be able to see in this lifetime. I can almost see him getting up there saying, you know, Michael, you got to see... um, Uh, you got to see a tremendous amount of fruit, but let me show you all the fruit that happened that you didn't get to see as a result of what uh, your obedience, uh, as a result of what you did in your obedience to me. You know, I mean, again, God does it all, but uh, the, 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 uh, the conduit, the vehicle is our obedience. God does not choose to glorify himself very much outside of finding those who will obey him. He picks uh, people that will obey for vehicles of obedience. And um, I just, I, I just, I don't know, I have a whole lot of hope in that day that God will say, come take a look at this, Michael. Look at how people were impacted in Indonesia or in Africa or look what it did in this life and this person in Canada or this homeless man or who knows what God may uh, show me or, or what, what, what impact it may have. Um, and this goes for everyone who's willing to suffer to remain obedient to the Father. So this message right now doesn't mean anything to anybody. This message to somebody that would listen to it right now at this very date and time may say, wow, this is sounds like some interesting things. Man, sounds like some good points, but it doesn't have any weight to it until God comes through. There's no weight to this message. There's no weight to, let's walk out to the Red Sea. God will deliver us until God, in fact, parts the sea. You know, Moses told them, my God will deliver you. Your God will deliver you. And and they, they felt for sure he would. But, you know, then it looks like in the end that they're completely doomed. And so they begin to completely doubt and the promise has no weight. But when, when Moses stuck his staff in the water and God did the impossible and parted that sea and they walked across on dry land, those promises had a weight that they could never have in word alone. So this message... It's being recorded in advance like Jesus said, I tell you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I think the, the glory for God in this message is the fact that I'm standing in His faith, walking in His obedience, being empowered by His grace to declare faithfulness in Him as a priority before anything really happens. And that when God delivers me, this message will have so much weight. It will weigh more than any message I could ever say after the fact. Anytime I tell the people the testimony of the story of what God has done in my life after it's already happened, it never has the kind of weight of telling what God will do in advance of Him actually doing it. So I'm really thankful that God has uh, moved on my heart to record this today. Yesterday was an extraordinarily difficult day for me, uh, but I'm going to obey the Father. I'm going to continue to just walk in peace. I'm going to I'm going to choose every moment, every five minutes if I need to. Nope, God's got this. God's got this. 
devil, I'm not going to be worried because my Father is faithful and my God has this. And I do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I will not put the Lord God to the test. And you do not have the things of man, the things of God in mind, but the things of man. And I, I trust God. God is my shield. He is my protector. And so uh, I'm going to stand on that promise today. And, and um, I'm going to place my hope in my God and in the day He'll deliver me. And in that day, this message will have much, much weight.